Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome in to Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. We are live, coming out of a big weekend, the first weekend of the 2015 MLS season. We spent last week fretting over whether or not it would happen. We spent Friday getting the predictions of about a 1,000 people. I think the total number was 18. I think we had 18 guests on Friday's show. If you missed that, man, go back and listen to it. Uh, it's, it still keeps a little bit. We've got some games under, under our belts now to review and look at. We're going to do that with Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer in a couple of minutes. A very MLS-tastic program for you today. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer to go with, over everything that happened. Seattle's dominance, TFC scoring goals, Josie Outdoor. Two already for the Reds. Obviously had a couple of one-goal wins for FC Dallas and Houston. A couple of games that didn't produce any goals at all. We'll review all of that with Kyle McCarthy. And then at 10.30, we'll go. We'll drill down to Orlando and talk to Paul Tenorio from the Orlando Sentinel about the debut of Orlando City Soccer Club. They took on NYCFC in front of 62,000-plus at the Citrus Bowl yesterday. Kaka with an equalizer in stoppage time to give the home side a point out of their first game. Would have been very disappointing, I imagine, to come out of that game, a game that they dominated for most of it, to come out of it with a loss. It would have been sad. Would have sent home, uh, sent a lot of purple-clad people home very, very upset. Very sad. Also want to make sure I mention, I started this yesterday. I started it. I mentioned it yesterday. It became clear. I was watching halftime of that game, Orlando City, New York City FC. And Taylor Twelman, friend of the show, we need to get Taylor back, by the way. Stop being so damn busy, Taylor. Friend of the show, we got, he was interviewing Don Garber at halftime. A couple of things came out of that. I'll get to those in a second. But it occurred to me that we've never had Don Garber on this program. Now, we've tried several times. We'll continue to try through the usual channels. But I think we need your support to make this happen. So I'm thinking Twitter campaign. It worked with Stu Holden. We had him in, in for a half an hour as a co-host. Now, I don't expect that Don Garber's got half an hour to spend to be co-host on this show. But 15 minutes, Don, maybe, to, to have a chat about the future of MLS, about the way things are going now, about those CBA details, maybe, and what that means for the future of MLS. I think that's doable. Twitter that guy, tweet that guy at the Soccer Don on behalf of Soccer Morning. Let you let him know that you would love for him to come on the show because then I can like check off all of the the major pro soccer league boxes. We've had the the commissioner of the NASL, Bill Peterson. We've had the commissioner, the former commissioner, excuse me, of USL USL Tim Holt or president, whatever his title was. He was the boss. He's not the boss anymore. We're going to have to get that guy, that, the guy who's replacing Tim Holt. We'll have to get him on the show so we can check that box as well. So do that. So at Soccer Morning is our Twitter handle, obviously. At the Soccer Don is Don's. You should know that already. Let's do the news here ahead of Kyle McCarthy and the MLS review. Again, MLS opening weekend, 62,000 people witness Orlando's Kaka, uh, Orlando, uh, city get a draw with Kaka's stoppage time, free kick equalizer. Uh, not a great game to watch um, necessarily in terms of quality, but certainly energetic, fun. Lots of, uh, you know, obviously the support of Orlando was massive 
and uh, and and ratcheted up the drama of that game. In Vancouver, Toronto gets their first win of the season. Josie Altdoor with two goals, which means he has now scored as many goals in one game for Toronto FC as he did in, I think, 42. Well, he had a, he had an, I think he had a cup goal and a league goal for Sunderland. So he scored two goals in all competitions for Sunderland. He scored two goals in one game for Toronto FC. And he's doubled up the league total from his Sunderland days. He looks comfortable, I think. Seattle was dominant in a 3 nothing win over New England. Obviously, no Jermaine Jones and no Lee Wynn hurt uh, the defending Eastern Conference champions pretty badly, but give Seattle full credit. They looked amazing. That third goal uh, was fun to watch. Marco Papa, Obafemi Martins, Clint Dempsey combining uh, for Seattle's third, and uh, they look like they might be uh, a good bet to repeat a supporter-sealed winners to maybe go to MLS Cup and finally get that trophy that they've been chasing. Speaking of Don Garber and that halftime chat with Taylor Twelman down in Orlando, the big news out of that chat is that Garber says it will be 45 days or so until the next round of MLS expansion is announced. Uh, We can all handicap. I think Sacramento was top of the list for most people based on everything that they've done to drum up support in that town, the backing of the Sacramento Kings NBA franchise, the backing of the San Francisco 49ers, the mayor of the city, uh, being squarely behind that push, the amount of fans that they're getting in the door at the USL level, Sacramento seems like a shoe in. The second spot right now, my, my, my money would be on Minnesota. That seems like uh, where the league is focusing at the moment. Uh, down a level of in American soccer at the NASL. And I know that's going to upset some people, but that's where they are at the moment. NASL, New York Cosmos. This is interesting. The season doesn't start for a little while now. But uh, reports out of New York say that the Cosmos are going to go down to Havana and play the Cuban national team in a friendly on June 2nd. They would be the first professional American professional sports franchise to play a game in Cuba in something like 60 years. Uh, now that uh, now that the embargo has been lifted by uh, President Obama's administration, that'll be a fascinating uh, little bit of history down there in Havana. I, I'm looking forward to that. I don't, the, the outcome of the game really doesn't matter, but the fact that the Cosmos are going to be breaking ground and playing in Cuba is fascinating. Over in La Liga, fascinating weekend there as well. Real Madrid fell to Athletic Bilbao 1 nothing, while uh, Barcelona destroyed Real Vallecano 6 1. Lionel Messi with the hat trick, his uh, record breaking La Liga hat trick. I can't remember what number that is. I didn't put that down, but he does have the record to himself now. Six straight years of 40 plus goals for Lionel Messi. That's insanity. And in the calendar year of 2015, he has 18 goals and nine assists in 16 matches. Uh, yeah, the guy's pretty good. Uh, now that you, uh, now that Barcelona has won on a weekend that Real Madrid has dropped points, Barcelona jumps back atop the standings in La Liga. Um, it's not going well for Real Madrid. For whatever reason, you can't, for, you would think that with all of the talent that they have available, that they would be able to get goals out of Ronaldo and Benzema and Bale, and they're not happening right now. Tony Cruz not playing the best soccer of his career at the moment. Remember, this is a team that rattled off 20 straight wins not that long ago, and now they're in danger of letting the title slip away. It is one point, long way to go still. But you have to imagine that Real Madrid's not feeling too good about themselves, and you have Carlo Ancelotti taking responsibility on his shoulders. 
In the FA Cup sem- uh, quarterfinals, excuse me, this weekend, Liverpool held to a goalless draw by Blackburn at Anfield. That means you'll have uh, a replay there at Ewood Park. Villa beat rivals West Brom to advance to the semis. Crowd, uh, a pitch invasion there at Villa Park. Was that is that okay? Are we okay with the pitch? I mean, look, you you beat if you're Villa and you beat West Brom in the FA Cup when you've had a terrible, terrible year and you're facing a relegation fight and you can't score any goals. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay. Jumping up and down with the players on the field. Okay, sure. Let's just keep everybody safe. And you have United and Arsenal today at uh, at Old Trafford, so that should be a fascinating game in the FA Cup as well. All right, let's take a break. We've reset. Let's get Kyle McCarthy on the line. We'll talk about the MLS weekend across the board. It's Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Hey there, it's Jason Davis. And if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game. And second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play Fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins... You win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning. And on the phone with me now from Fox Soccer, Kyle McCarthy. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle J. McCarthy. Make sure you're following Inside MLS as well as the season is now underway. Kyle, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm I'm just starting to catch my breath after a, a very busy, very exciting opening weekend it was busy it was exciting in places it did uh fail to to deliver a lot of goals in some cases kyle but i think what we'll do is uh you're in seattle you're there for the seattle sounders New England revolution opener and, and i think we'll start there because while there may have been a lot of attention on orlando and 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 certainly the sixty-two thousand people that showed up at the citrus bowl Seattle's an established team with a, 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 a retinue of stars, and they put on a show. I, I threw out the, co- the caveat uh, when I mentioned this game in the open, Kyle, that, of course, New England not having Jermaine Jones or Lee Wynn on the field was a big deal. But just how good were, this, were the Sounders yesterday? They were the best team in the league this weekend, certainly. You look at the performance that they put together. You look at the cohesiveness of the performance they put together. Uh, and that's a great way to start the season if you're Sounders FC. You look at, at how they were able to move, how they were able to, to pick apart the revs, and how they were able to, to make the best use of that time and space. Uh, it was really encouraging for, for Sanders FC. 
you, you look at uh, Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey, who grab again grab most of the headlines within that team. Uh, they they have a good platform. They have they have a good midfield. They obviously they're they're shifting some things around defensively that didn't really become a problem yesterday. We'll see when they face teams with their uh, with their full complements. Uh, but when you look at Dempsey and Martins, considering now that Landon Donovan has retired and Robbie Keane's going to have to form a partnership with Giassi Zardis or somebody else there at the Galaxy, and maybe you can put Josie Outdoor and Giovinco on that level eventually. But for the time being, it's Martins and Dempsey as the, the, the preeminent pairing up top in this league. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and it's because they have that great chemistry together. They understand where where to find each other how to move to, to trouble closing defenses, and then how to use each other to get in behind. And I think you saw that last night. Uh, they were very effective, really gave the, the rest trouble for, from the opening whistle, and used that, that ability to, to go out and, and put together a great performance. Now, we saw around this league, as exciting as it was, some rust. Well, a lot of these teams came out of the preseason, um, maybe not ready to fire on all cylinders, and that's understandable. That happens every season. Maybe it's a little bit different and, and a little bit exacerbated by the CBA negotiations and some of these guys flying around the country. But that didn't affect the Sounders. Was that a was that a function of the the revs and the and the fight that they put up against Seattle, or was that just how good Seattle is right this moment? I, I think it was a function of of the Sounders getting everything together quickly. I, I think when you look at how they performed last night, it looked like a team that was, was approaching mid-season form. And, and there's a familiarity within the ranks. Uh, there is a, a knowledge of how to, to really unsettle the opposition. Seattle put that on full display. I thought the Reds were decent at, at points last night. Uh, they were able to get the ball down uh, during the first half at different junctures, and they almost, they almost leveled it with, with Kellen Rowe uh, right before halftime. But uh, Seattle was, was very good, and they were. They deserved the points, certainly. Okay, we're going to move around. There's plenty of games to cover, but I, I'm so curious about two individual performances that I have, have to ask you, having witnessed them in person. First, Brad Evans at center back for the Sounders. It's obviously a shift for him. He's an incredibly intelligent player. He can obviously play the ball with his feet very well, but is he going to be a long-term answer for them in that position? Certainly looks like it. That's a, a change that they've made coming into this season in a bid to give him a, a little bit more stability, and, and he was very good last night. He is still a work in progress in terms of picking up the right spots and making sure that, that he's doing everything he needs to do to be an effective center back. But it's a very assured performance from him uh, in a spot where he hasn't had a lot of match practice. He is a, a particularly intelligent, particularly tactical player. He is so versatile that he, he can step in anywhere and put in a performance. I think you saw that last night. The other one I'm uh, sorry, the other one I'd like to ask about is Juan Agadello. Obviously, uh, went to Europe. It didn't work out. He didn't get to play at all, and now he's back in a Revolution uniform. And he could be the the, the player that helps put them over the top. I, I suppose. How did he look in his return? Well, he gave away the penalty, uh, which wasn't great, and he was starved of service. Uh, when you don't have Jermaine Jones and Lee Wynn, uh, there can be some issues for the Reds in trying to combine quickly and, and use that that ability to. Uh, win the ball in good areas and they, and then hurt teams when they're a little bit stretched. And Agadello uh, hopped and popped and he, he tried to do what he does, but 
was a difficult night for him and a difficult night for the refs. Let's uh, let's move on from that game and 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 go to uh, again what was the marquee matchup only because it was the debut of two teams because it took place in front of a a big crowd in Orlando Orlando City and New York City FC um, from what you were able to see uh, how did you how, how what did you make of Orlando's performance because ultimately they get a draw but I imagine they're not too happy about that inside the locker room nope, they put on a good face but they probably should have won that game. That's that's fair. I, I think when you look at how Orlando City performed, that that they they should have collected all three points. But that being said, there, there's a lot of value with to the way that this match unfolded for them. Uh, they were able to to cope with a little bit of the frustration of not firing at all cylinders in that first half. They were able to to respond after going down to a, a wonderful Mister goal. And then they, they got that, that wonderful hallmark moment at the end, a little bit of luck for, for Kaha to, to draw a level of depth. So uh, are they 100% happy with, with not getting three points? I'm, I'm sure not. But the way it unfolded, it had some value too. Do you believe that there's uh, th- that these teams are going to get significantly better over the course of the next couple of months? They are expansion sides. We can't expect them to be cohesive and fluid in their first outing, but I just wonder what their ceiling is from your perspective. Both teams are capable of mounting a playoff push from where I stand, and that's a that's a function of MLS having six playoff berths for ten teams. So yeah, that has to be the, the objective for, for both sides. And you saw it yesterday. There, there's, some, uh, there's some intriguing pieces uh, to put together, uh, and, and it came together in fits and starts. Uh, but you have to target the playoffs if, if you're both teams because because it's possible and it's just a matter of assembling things and, and making sure that you get the consistency required to make a sustained push. And and in terms of what what Jason Christ has put together, and I'll come to Orlando in a second. What Jason Christ has put together, they're obviously waiting on Frank Lampard. That'll change things significantly for them. But you saw David Villa going through that experience that so many. Uh, DP strikers, goal scorers, guys who need good service go through in this league, and that's the frustration of not getting the ball where he wants it, when he wants it. Is that something that they can fix in the interim, or are they going to have to wait for Lampard? I don't think they have to wait. I think they will will find a way to get him the ball more reliably, but that's a that's a problem that a lot of DPs face. As you said, just look at what Robbie Keane had to go through on a Friday night. He was ridiculously frustrated with the, the type and the quality of service that he received. Eventually, he had an impact on the game, certainly. But that's part and parcel of being a DP in this league sometimes. You have to roll on those days when, when you're not getting the ball as much as you want and, you, and you're not getting the quality uh, in the in the passing that you need. Is there something to be said then? I mean, again, New York City's got other DPs um, or a, another DP coming in and perhaps will be looking again, uh, looking for another one in the summer and add a, a third name. Um, is there something to be said, though, for what Orlando did with signing up Kaká, a guy who is going to drop deeper, uh, whose whose talents are better uh, dropping deeper, who can pick up the ball and be more involved in the game over the course of 90 minutes than it is to sign up a guy who, while he can bang in the goals, again, needs the service. And if you don't have uh, the type of midfield to, to get him the ball, it can be frustrating. Kaká was really good, is, is what I'm trying to say. Yes, yes, he was good. And everybody would take Kakao on their team. Everybody would take the VP on their team. 
but Kaka has the the added benefit of being able to move around and and find the game. And you saw that a bit uh, yesterday. You see him pop up on the right, and then he moves to the left, and then he try and find a one-on-one opportunities. Then he try and combine. Then he'd look to shoot and. You you look at the type of performance that he's put together yesterday, and it's encouraging mm-hmm. because he's exerted an impact on the game and, and really boosted Orlando City's chances. That's that's important for them because they're also still trying to figure everything out, and to get that sort of display from Gakai is is a great first step for them. How about Breck Shea, left back for Orlando City? Um, obviously, he's gone through a positional switch uh, since he left Ringland and came back. This has happened to the national team. Now it's happening at the club level. He had a nice little bit of magic uh, where he, he left Josh Williams in his dust. Uh, and that's the kind of thing you might get out of Breck. But is he going to be defensively reliable enough for Orlando City to get away with, with playing him at that spot all season? It's something we're going to have to watch against better teams. Uh, teams that understand how to, to move the ball quickly and, and really place Shea under pressure. I don't know if New York City did that enough uh, yesterday. I, I think that there will be matches where, where Shea will come under a lot of scrutiny, and he's going to have to cope with it. That being said, he's got that little bit of special something mm-hmm. that if he, everything's firing for him, then he can really have an influence on the game. And don't underestimate the importance of having Lewis Neal in front of him. Mm-hmm. Neal is smart enough to drop in at left back and allow Shea to go up and on the overlap and, and contribute uh, to the attack. Uh, so I think there's a balance there that will help Orlando City going forward. I, I, I do think it's I, I do think it's good to see sort of an evolution within MLS of of fullbacks who get up the field and, and join in the attack. And we've seen it over the last couple of seasons, but traditionally MLS is more of a, a lockdown defensive kind of fullback league. I, I mean, at least that, that's the way I've, I've seen it, um, you know, previously. Is that, is that something you see is, is taking a, taking, um, taking off across MLS or am I, am I mischaracterizing it a bit? I, I think when you look at the MLS fullback pool, it, it's, generally a mixture of players who are very good going forward and a little bit suspect defensively, or they're good defensively and, and can't really contribute much in the attack. I think that's just part and parcel of, of how MLS teams build their rosters and identify talent mm-hmm. at fullback. But you like to see teams diverting from the normal course, and certainly spending the amount of money that Orlando City did and then throwing Breck Shea at left back is a different look for this league. Let's turn to Toronto. Um, big, big money signings in Altidore and Giovinco to sort of reboot the big money spending that, that Toronto's gone through the last couple of years in an attempt to make the playoffs. They go to Vancouver. Vancouver's a very talented team, perhaps still a little young and raw, um, despite some success last year. And they drop, they, they, they get a win. They drop three goals. They, one of them is a penalty for Josie. Um, but it, it, it was the goal from, that Giovinco set up for Altidore that I think is the one that's going to get people most excited in Toronto. Yeah, I had a chance to, to be at BC Place for that game, and Toronto FC's performance in the second half in particular was quite impressive. Uh, it took a little bit of time for the Reds to, to cope with the game tactically. Uh, Kakutamane ran riot in that first half, and the Reds, their defensive line was, was all over the place. Uh, Warren Favreau was just a little too aggressive in that first half, but Greg Vandy brought him in at halftime, sorted things out, uh, you got a better second half from that defense, 
and it really put TFC in a position where they were able to exploit a, a Vancouver team that wasn't able to adjust to their adjustments. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a really encouraging display after the break for the Reds because they're able to assert control and possession and then use it to really punish Vancouver. What does it mean, if anything, that Altidore got two goals in his first game in MLS uh, after scoring two in his entire run at Sunderland? Does it mean anything? Well, it's certainly neat for people like us to, to know <laughs> the parallels, but I don't think I don't think it's something Altidore thinks about. You know, I, I've asked him time and again, you know, whether he thinks the goals are good for his confidence or or whether you know having those breakthroughs or, or is able to put him back on solid ground. And, and basically, what he says is, I'm confident in my ability. I know I'm going to get goals, and and that's that's what happens. And I think he showed that uh, on Saturday. He was able to to just persist on a day where he didn't always receive the best service, but at the right times, he was able to to step up, influence the game, get the goal, and, and and help his team secure a fresh three points. Yeah, look, I, I I like drawing out the narratives, uh, you know, making some assumptions, jumping to some conclusions, and the fact that he pulled a Panenka on that penalty, Kyle. I mean, it just makes you kind of you kind of chuckle a bit because that's not something a guy suffering from a lack of confidence does. And and I've I've seen the uh, I've seen some analysis that that maybe Josie didn't believe in himself at Sunderland. Is that a step too far? Because, you know, just one game back after a preseason in Toronto, all of a sudden it's all back for him? I think it's time to put away the jump to conclusions, Matt, <laughs> and just just sort of a roll with it at this point. I, I don't think Altidore went through some crisis of confidence. I think uh, he was in a difficult situation at Sunderland. Uh, he didn't have... The, the sort of impact that he wanted. Uh, at times that was on him. At times it was on the, the team around him. But when you look at what he was able to do on Saturday, you look at his overall display, you look at how how incisive he was when he needed to be. Uh, it's encouraging for Toronto, certainly, especially when you see a team like that, when you can get that sort of working possession and then take advantage of the opponent by covering them open. Yeah. I think that's a, a good thing for Altidore, a good thing for the rest. Yeah, Altidore scoring, Giovinco looks like a marvel on the ball, and we, we knew that, but you know, to see him actually doing it for Toronto has got to be um, a big boost of confidence for everybody in that team. He's, uh, he's pretty marvelous. Um, let's look around the league very quickly before I run out of time here. Uh, let's talk about the defending champs. You mentioned Robbie Keane's frustration. They get a 2 nothing win over Chicago, who was abjectly poor in that game, uh, Kyle. I don't know what that necessarily means for the fire long term. But L.A. without Donovan, were you in, did you see enough to think that they're going to be able to climb back to the top of the mountain again? I, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, I had a chance to, to be at that game in Carson and, and soak in how the Galaxy uh, reacted to that match. And I think I think they're going to be okay, but it's going to take a little bit of time to adjust. Mm-hmm. When you go from having Landon Donovan in your lineup to not having Landon Donovan in your lineup, it, it, it's a change, certainly, and the Galaxy are going to have to adapt how they go forward to accommodate for it. Mm-hmm. That being said, you saw why the Galaxy have won three titles in four years. Mm-hmm. They didn't have their best stuff on Friday, but they kept their heads, they kept their composure, it did exactly what they needed to do to, to brush aside a Chicago team that was, quite frankly, not very good. 
one uh, one game I'll point out here again. I'm running out, running out of time, so apologies to anybody out there whose team I don't get to. Portland and RSL played to a goalless draw, and and, and you know, look on paper, you see that scoreline, Kyle. You might not think much of that game, um, but there's certainly some talking points coming out of it. The fact that Portland was able to hold a clean sheet uh, against RSL has got to be pretty encouraging for them. Yeah, you know, and they and they finished last season fairly strong defensively. Uh, they're in the midst of a, a pretty lengthy shutout streak, but with the changes they made at the back last year to, to go out and, and get a clean sheet in that first game is important for them. Uh, but the same thing holds for RSL. They've made some changes as well. They've gone to that 4-3-3. Uh, they, they've uh, tweaked things up a little bit, and, and the fact that they got a, a point at Providence Park is a good building block for them as well. Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer. Kyle J. McCarthy on Twitter. And make sure you're following Inside MLS and reading Inside MLS over at Fox Soccer. Kyle, uh, it was a good first weekend. Good to have you back uh, talking some MLS action, and we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. There goes Kyle McCarthy. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Paul Tenorio. We'll talk about Orlando City's debut, that big crowd, that equalizer, Kaka, the whole thing. Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play Fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking now, Orlando City Soccer Club with Paul Tenorio from the Orlando Sentinel. Paul, how are you the day after? I'm I'm doing well, you know, I, I needed to get like a solid eight hours of sleep last night just to kind of recover from the week and the weekend in general, and I got that. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed. You, you mean you didn't, you didn't like, uh, you know, suck some of that energy up in that amazing crowd yesterday at the Citrus Bowl? They pushed you through to, to, to be vibrant and awake today? No, I mean, I did. I, I, <laughs> I, I took as much of it as I could for the, for the deadline work I had to do, and then I crashed afterwards. You know, Paul, this is, uh, you know, obviously a big debut. Lots of, um, graphics about how this is the, Second highest attendance for an MLS debut. I think uh, the Galaxy had something like sixty nine thousand at the at the Rose Bowl or the the Coliseum, wherever they opened up in ninety six. I don't even remember. Um, and and obviously, you know, Seattle gets big crowds and all of those things. The crowd's not the story because the team is is obviously not going to be drawing like this all the time. But but how important was it to get that big crowd in there to to fill the bowl as they were planning to do? 
No, I think it was huge. You know, I think it was, I think it was huge on multiple levels. First of all, in the city of Orlando, it was an incredible event. I think for me, it was it was neat just to drive through downtown Orlando before the game and see how many people were out on the streets wearing purple. Honestly, it felt like even a, a bigger deal than the World Cup this summer when they were drawing 10,000 fans down to the middle of downtown to watch games on the big screen. Um, you know, there were there were that many people milling around in Orlando City year and I thought that was pretty neat to see and then obviously you you get to the stadium and it and it's an explosion of fans and and uh soccer atmosphere and 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 just pretty amazing in general so I think for for Orlando the city itself um you know the the people who have kind of been wondering what it was going to be like to have an MLS team got a pretty good introduction to the sport got a pretty good introduction to the team and uh, probably got a pretty good introduction to the atmosphere of, of what it can be like. Now, obviously, like you said, it's not going to be 62,000 people, but still just in general, the kind of the way a soccer game goes, the singing that's happening, the, the you know, the supporters groups, the tailgating scene outside, all of those yeah. things that are going to be essential to building a fan base that can put 20,000 people in the new stadium game in, game out. Um and then I think it was important too, on a national scale, to to make that debut on ESPN and and to introduce Orlando City to MLS and MLS fans and show that it's a market that's serious about being in MLS. And I think at a time when there's all this expansion happening, obviously two more teams coming in in a couple of years and and two more announcements still to come. Um, I think it was important for Orlando to show that they were, you know, a more than deserving market and that they're going to be a serious factor in MLS for, for years to come. So it, it was a pretty much a perfect debut. It's all they could have asked for. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It does, it does show that Orlando is serious about this. I mean, uh, I think it's easy to be cynical about, uh, you know, a big crowd and maybe it fading away, especially with some of the history of MLS, a history that you know, uh, you know very well, but this is sort of a new era for the league and it's definitely a new era for, for professional soccer in Florida a portion of the country that doesn't have a great reputation when it comes to pro soccer in this league. Uh, but when you, when you look at the, the crowd, the makeup of the crowd, and I'm curious about this, you know, I saw a couple of, of, of stories that kind of indicated, well, if, if Kaka doesn't score and they don't get a point out of this game they, and they don't send the, the, the people home relatively happy, maybe they lose some of this buzz. Is, is that the sense you got? Was this a, a casual crowd? How many of these people do you think are coming back? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, actually, my, my fiance went to the game and was in the stands, and I kind of got a rundown from her of what it was like um, just being in the actual stands. And, you know, it was actually kind of a mix, she said. You know, there were definitely a mix of families and, and, you know, the kids that were there and wanting to see the games and the soccer moms and all of that. And then, obviously, there's, there was the core fan that's kind of been a part of this whole Orlando City scene for a long time. You know, the, the 20-somethings that were you know, knocking a few more beers back than the families were. And, um, but, but one thing she did say is that, you know, what impressed her was just how intense the atmosphere was that everyone was very, very into the game. Everyone was very, very into the team that it wasn't, it, it didn't have as much of a casual feel as maybe she was expecting. Um, which I think is, you know, it's a good sign as well. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I think we'll see an interesting, I mean, they're close. They've said the the club itself has said that they're close to selling out the Vancouver game in a couple of weeks. Ooh. Now they're capping that at twenty thousand. So, okay. <laughs> um, you know that's that's kind of what the cap will be for games right. going forward. They will open up the bowl for other select games. I wouldn't be surprised to see them open it up for the LA Galaxy this summer. A couple other select games, but you know if they if they're averaging twenty thousand, I think that's hitting their goal. And and I'll be interested to see if the demand is much higher if they start to say, okay, well. 
you know, maybe maybe we'll open up a couple of these other lower bowl sections and, and start capping things at thirty thousand. We we know that the new venue is going to be what nineteen and a half, and 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 we've seen around this league that you build a build you, you know build a stadium with uh, that can that can hold twenty thousand or so, and you put a roof on it. And you make it, uh, you know, you make it an enclosed environment. It can be just as loud as 62,000 people at the Citrus Bowl. For sure, for sure. They they definitely designed the stadium. Um, they have these kind of slanted roofs, and they designed the angle of the roofs to deflect the noise from the stands directly down onto the field. So, um, and I, and I think it's important, you know, coming from a guy who watched DC United and RFK Stadium, you know, the Vara Brava is is great and it's fantastic, but it does lose some of, of its effect in, in RFK Stadium just because it's such a big stadium and when that upper bowl is empty, it's not the same, you know? Mm-hmm. To put that same atmosphere into a stadium of 19,000 and suddenly you're right on top of the field and it's way louder and it's way better. So I think there's a lot of value to having a packed stadium that's a little bit smaller than having a 35,000 seat stadium that's got 20 or 25,000 people in it. So, um, you know, I, I will say Phil Rollins said something interesting the other day he said after selling, you know, 62,000 seats and kind of the interest that he's getting around the city and the fact that Vancouver is coming close to selling out already, um, you know, they are kind of, I don't, I don't know the right way to put this, but I guess toying with the idea of keeping an eye on what the demand looks like through the first half of the season or so and, and maybe, you know, opening up that stadium design to, to get to like 25,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to say that they're definitely doing that. It's, it, does seem that they're keeping a close eye on demand and that they're, they want to be able to provide a stadium that's going to maximize the atmosphere and that will maximize the ability for fans to go to Orlando City games. Let's talk about the actual uh, play on the field. Obviously, the, the players all loved uh, the support and the, and the big crowd, and, and they fed off of it. I mean, that game was extremely hectic. It, it was... Uh... It was intense. It was, it moved very quickly. It wasn't the best brand of soccer we've seen in MLS, Paul. And I guess what, what's important here for Orlando, again, getting the point is big considering they were down a goal and they had wasted some chances. They had wasted some, wasted some dominance in that game. I, I, what, what kind of building block is this? Cause it's difficult to know as a measuring stick or uh, New York City FC is not that great. Right. No, I mean, look, you've got to remember this is the first game for these teams ever. They've had five weeks to get 25 guys on the same page, and that's not easy to do. I know a lot of people say, well, Orlando City brings a lot of people up from the USL, and they, they brought up eight guys, two of which have been had been on the team for more than one season in the USL. Um, you know, six of those guys were signed midway through last season to with an eye towards MLS. So this is a, still a very new team. There is a matter of trying to get these guys on the same page, trying to get those connections working. Carlos Rivas had played all of 30 minutes of preseason soccer because he picked up a shoulder injury in the preseason opener against DC United and then came on last, last week in the preseason finale and got a red card within two minutes. So I think you saw some of that roughness from him, just a couple of touches that were off. At one point, he tried to tee up a long-distance shot when he should have sprayed the ball wide and kept the, the attack going. Um, and still, at the same time, two of Orlando City's four best chances came from Rivas because he's a really, really skillful player who scored 15 goals for Deportivo Cali last season mm-hmm. and just narrowly missed the far post uh, in the second half yesterday on a, on a shot. So, um, you know, those are things that are going to get better over the course of this season. I think we saw, you know, at the very least, you saw kind of the mindset of this, this team. They like to play attacking, possession-oriented soccer. They're not going to sit back and play long ball. They're not just going to kind of be a, a, a dump-and-chase team. 
And I think that's an encouraging thing for the league. I think it's an encouraging thing for fans in the city who care about the game, that they're going to be able to go and watch a, a good soccer team that wants to play, you know, beautiful soccer. And, and um, will that happen this week or next week or, or, you know, two weeks down the road? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that by the end of the season, once these guys have gotten to know each other a lot better, you're going to see more and more positive stuff on the field. And especially when you're talking about players, of, you know, like Kevin Molino and Kaká and Carlos Rivas and, and Brian Rochez that have the skill, have the ability, and, you know, it's just a matter of kind of putting it all together. Yeah, You know, I, I talked to Kyle, um, uh, Kyle McCarthy from Fox Soccer just uh, in the last segment, and I asked him specifically about the, the bigger names, uh, Kaká and his role and his ability to get on the ball, which I, which I think is, is, is obviously key for Orlando and makes him kind of the, the right kind of DP for an expansion team that's going to have trouble maybe getting the striker proper service. And then Breck Shea at left back, and, and obviously both of those guys performed relatively well. When they, when you look at the rest of this team, what did you pick out in terms of performance that, that maybe is encouraging for Orlando City moving forward? Obviously, Molino's a guy that Orlando knows that, that, that may be making a name in MLS, uh, this season. And Lewis Neal's yeah. a, a journeyman who covers for Shea in, in front of him. Who else is, is key? Uh, will be a Kugo, we know. Yeah, no, I, I think Christiana Gita, the other defensive midfielder next to Akugo, he's, he's going to be a really good player. In fact, the, out of the preseason, Kaká said the two players that he had the strongest impression of that he felt are going to have huge years that people should keep an eye on are Kevin Molino and Christiana Gita. And the club is very high on Gita, another player that came for Deportivo Cali. He's disruptive in the middle of the field. He, he's active. He covers a lot of ground. Um, he'll venture a little farther forward than the Kugo. I think you saw kind of in the way this system works, the Kugo will drop kind of into just, just barely in front of those two center backs because they, they spray a little bit wider when the outside backs get up the field. And that's how you kind of keep that balance in the back. And Igita is able to roam a little bit more behind Kaka and cover that ground. He's got the chance to be a really good player, just 21 years old. Um, I think that's, that's one player, Rafa Ramos. We didn't get to see a ton of him. Getting forward, I think they were a little bit more focused attacking up the left side with Shea, mm-hmm. but um, I, I'm a big fan of Rafa Ramos. He, he, he came over from Benfica. He's just 20 years old. He's part of the Portugal under-20 national team. Might be 19 years old, actually. Um, and, and he's a, he's a very, very solid outside back. So those are two players I definitely think will be consistent starters for Orlando City. And I think, like you said, I think, look, I think Molino played very well last night. I think he had some nice little touches here and there. He's going to get beat up a lot. He's a small guy. He's a slight guy. But he's very skillful. He's got a good nose for goal. I think that he's somebody who is still trying to carve out his role on this team. He played the number 10 last year uh, when he had 20 goals and 9 assists in the USL and, and won the MVP awards and set their single season scoring records and all that. Um, you know, now he's back on the right side and he's, he's starting. And look, it, it's tougher than, than people think to play with Kaká. He, he's all over the field. He drops yeah. deep to find the ball. He drops wide to find the ball. So the guys that are playing up top in, in that final, those the three attacking midfielders, they all have to get to learn to play with him. And I think that's, that's something Molino is still, still figuring out. And I think he's got, got a chance to, to be, you know, a newcomer of the year candidate. Let, let me look to the middle of the defense because obviously Aurelian Collin picks up the red card on a rash yeah. tackle on David Villa. I, that, that's a no doubter for me. I don't think there's any real complaint. I'm not sure what Colin was trying to say when, uh, when he was complaining about the card. And I guess, you know, obviously the partnership yesterday was Colin and Seb Hines. Colin uh, comes off with the red card. What is there going to be an issue? I mean, not that Colin is a red card waiting to happen every time out, but certainly there's going to be, need to be cover there 
if he's out, if there's injuries. Seb Hines is obviously a player who has come off his own rash of injuries. What's the defensive sturdiness like for you? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question mark still on this team. I think it's the biggest question mark that Orlando City has tried to figure out. Um, they've got Sean St. Ledger, who's going to start in the next game with, with Seb Hines. I mean, that's two players who have played in the English Championship. Um, St. Ledger is obviously an international player. He's played for Ireland, so um, he's got the experience. I don't think that's the question. It's just a matter of, you know, how is he going to fit into the MLS? How is he going to fit into um, the style of play of this team? You know, that's been the hard part is kind of finding the right partner for Colin. He, he, like you said, he's he's a little bit of a of – a, I mean, a little bit is being nice. He's, he's very aggressive. He likes to step <laughs> forward. He likes to kind of be uh, getting in on tackles like we saw yesterday. And you, you kind of wanted someone that was more – um, and a technical on the ball center back. And I think St. Ledger does fit that mold a little bit more than Seb Hines. So, you know, it might be a natural partnership, but, but certainly they, they, they've got another center back in on trial. They're trying to figure that out. Um, and then they've got two young center backs behind and Connor Donovan, who's a U.S. under 20 national team player and, and Tommy Redding, who has been a U.S. under 18 national team player. And I think both of those guys need a little bit more time before they're ready to play day in, day out at MLS. But I thought Connor Donovan was really, really good this preseason. And I think that if they needed to put him in the game, I think they'd be relatively confident that he could be a spot starter for them. I just think they prefer to have more veteran leadership in the center of that back line, especially with Shea still learning things at the left side, Rafa Ramos being 19 on the right side. You want to have kind of a more veteran presence in the middle of that back line. And it's something that they're going to have to figure out and uh, definitely the biggest question mark on this team right now. Uh, short week for them. They they go to Houston on Friday, play that Friday night game. Uh, first road trip, obviously, in the regular season. A- any expectations for you? Houston's kind of an unknown quantity, although they come off a win over Columbus. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I, I I will be interested to see if they tweak the formation at all, if they, if they play a little bit more with the defensive shaping on the road for the first time. They, they got to see Houston and Charleston. They obviously, they lost three nothing in that last game. They got two red cards. They were playing two men down. Uh, Boney Garcia had a field day. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see kind of what they, what they do. I wouldn't be shocked to see them come out with like a four, three, two, one instead of a four, two, three, one. I don't know if they'll start doing that this early in the season though. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I, every time you go on the road, you, you play a little bit differently mentally. You want to you know be protective and you want to try to earn points and steal some points on the road if you can. I think that it's, it's maybe a little earlier in the season than they would like to start tinkering with formations and stuff. Um, so, you know, I expect them to still come out in that 4-2-3-1. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see both Aguita and Akugo play a little bit deeper to see uh, maybe a little bit fewer venturing runs forward from the outside backs just as you play a little bit more conservative. But in general, I mean, this is a team that, you know, has a very possession-oriented offensive mindset, and it's hard to kind of switch out of that. So, um, you know, for me, I'm just I'm just waiting to see and, and continuing to watch the growth of the players, the growth of the team. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they move Rivas back out to left wing, which is his more natural spot, and play Brian Rochez up top and try those those different combinations. That would be the the one big thing I'll be looking at besides, obviously, the center back pairing with Colin out. Yeah, I'd like to see Rochez. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, you have to you have to imagine Orlando's going to have to learn how how to go on the road and muck it up and win ugly in MLS because that's part of getting points and making the playoffs. Paul Tenorio from the Orlando Sentinel talking Orlando City's debut on Sunday. Uh, great start for them. Obviously, they would have preferred a win. 
But, hey, you take what you can get when you're an expansion franchise. Paul, thank you very much for your time, man. Thanks a lot. No doubt. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, get your tweets. It's Soccer Morning, 347-756-6276. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Phone lines are open. 347-756-6276. Maybe you want to talk MLS weekend. Maybe you want to talk La Liga and the switch in the standings. Maybe you want to talk about Bayern Munich basically sewing up the Bundesliga because Wolfsburg lost to Augsburg and what the hell's happening. I mean, Bayern was always going to win. We knew that. But now Wolfsburg has removed any drama whatsoever by dropping points to Augsburg. Ah, good stuff. Uh, just a little bit of a tease here. This is a big week for Soccer Morning. Couple of excellent guests coming up later in the week on Wednesday. Alejandro Bedoya, U.S. international, winger for Nantes. He'll join us, uh, to chat a bit about his season over in France. And then on Thursday, the, um, what, what, is he USA number one? Is he U.S. number one right now? I mean, that, that's what he is now. As long as Tim Howard is on sabbatical or whatever he's on. I don't know. Anyway, Brad Guzan of Aston Villa and the U.S. Men's National Team will join us on Thursday. Very much looking forward to both of those interviews. We don't get a lot of players around here. It's always good to have players on. Get the, uh, especially guys based in Europe in an era in which players are returning to MLS at a rapid clip. It's, uh, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much an MLS, uh, American U.S. national team now. Bedoya, Guzan, who am I missing? Cameron, who else is uh, Aaron Johansson, who scored this weekend in a absolutely dist- <laughs> in a big loss. He scored in a gigantic loss, uh, but he still scored. Aaron Johansson scored, so he's based over there. Who am I? I, I it's all, I feel like I can count like the 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 U.S. internationals who are based in Europe on one hand. Am I wrong about that? Who am I missing? There can't be that many. Maybe some guys coming up who may feature in the future. That's hard to say. Emerson Hyman at Fulham, but he's not really a fully established U.S. international at the senior level. So you don't have much of a a European contingent anymore. We're going to grab a couple of them. Bedoya on Thursday. Sorry, Bedoya on Wednesday. Can't believe I did that. Guzan on Thursday. Looking forward to that. Make sure you uh, write it down in your handy-dandy soccer morning notebooks. All 75 of you. Make sure you're writing it down. 347-756-6276. We're continuing our push on Twitter to make uh, Don Garber notice us. That's really what this is all about. Make Don Garber notice that we're a thing and get him on the show. That's the plan. Tweet, Tweet him at the Soccer Don. You can tag Soccer Morning if you want. That helps. Just mention Soccer Morning. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to tag us necessarily in the Twitter way, but I, I suppose that would help him learn actually who we are. Do we do we think that Don Garber knows what Soccer Morning's all about? Do we think he knows? I, I'm curious. I mean, is this a this is not an avoidance thing, right? He's just a really busy guy. 
He was in Orlando this weekend. He's probably flying to Minnesota or Sacramento or San Antonio or Miami. Julian Green, that's a good one. On the pitch, says Julian Green. Oh, that's not going so well, is it? DeAndre Yedlin, yes. See, I am missing some guys. I know I, I knew I was missing some guys. Thank you, Shane, for uh, tipping in DeAndre Yedlin. Juan Vieira wants a shout-out to the Tijuana players and the U.S. men's national team players at Tijuana, keeping Cholos top of the table. Yes, absolutely. They deserve tons of credit down there in Tijuana as they uh, are top of Liga MX after a couple, uh, what, nine, ten games into the season, into the uh, Clasura. David's on the line. What's up, David? Hey, Jason. Uh, nice job getting these interviews. That's impressive. Hey, all credit to, to Trevor Haywood. Uh, Hayward. Did I say Haywood? <laughs> so that, Haywood, that, Haywood. That's what I'm bringing him down. <laughs> I'm bringing him down a notch by getting his name wrong. David, what else is going on? So I, I'm wondering, um, and you know, every every time that there's a shift in the, uh, not in the time-space continuum, but in the daylight savings time, of course, here in Arizona, and we, we, never, we never caught on to that concept. So anyway, I, I'm an hour late realizing that your show has been on for almost an hour. But um, anyway, I was wondering if you guys have discussed the, the television coverage of the MLS games on Sunday. I didn't see all of it, but I saw bits of each of the games, and I, I was pretty impressed. I thought, I thought, I thought it, was it was fine. I mean, pe- pe- David, that's the kind of thing people love to pick apart, the television coverage of MLS. And I, I thought it was fine. I thought the score bug on, e- on ESPN was an improvement. I, you know, I'm not one of those people that's, that's sitting there breaking everything down Maybe some camera angles and some shots and some replays could have been better. I, I like I like Healy and Twelman together. Uh, over on Fox, you obviously had JP Della Camera calling that first game with Brad Friedel, and then you had John Strong and and Alexi Lawless on the second game. And I, I I'm fine with all of those guys. I, I have no yeah. real issues with that. I think I think what we're the most important thing for me. The coverage is what the coverage is, and both of these these networks have enough money to make it look good, and I think it does. It looks professional, but the thing yeah, is, you know, th- I, my two thoughts would be: firstly, Brad Friedel, I, I don't get it. Is he a goalkeeper for Tottenham or is he not? Uh, <laughs> and, and, or is he just doing it remotely? I'm presuming he must be doing it remotely. Um, so, and then the other thing is that when they did the transition on Fox between the first game and the second game. Yeah, I thought it looked a little bit more professional than I than I'm used to seeing MLS broadcasts look. Look, you know, they did this sort of transition, and they went, you know, suddenly you saw the the field in the background in Seattle, and I thought that looked pretty pretty. Look, solid. I love, I love, I love, uh, I love Rob Stone. Uh, you can't go wrong with him. The fact that you have Eric Winalda back on MLS, I think, is good for American soccer. Whatever you think of Eric Winalda. The fact that he gets to talk about MLS is a good thing. Again, David, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for the call, man. The, the thing I was going to get to, the most important thing for me when it comes to television, isn't necessarily the quality of the broadcast. I, I want that to be good. I think that's a high standard enough as it is. It's those locked-in times. when you, you know when these games are going to happen. I think that's huge for MLS. Uh, 5-4-0, you're on the air. Uh, hey, what's up? This is uh, Austin in Virginia. What's up, I guess Austin? First, I guess first to go with what you guys were just saying, I thought uh, Fox did a great job, honestly. But uh, uh, what's it called? Also, just wanted to uh, congratulate you and Trevor on Friday's episode because that was incredibly awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I, I, some, uh, some people didn't. But, uh, what, some people didn't like it. It's okay. I don't. I, I don't blame you. We we tried <laughs> something out. I mean, we, we you know we're, we're experimenting around here. It gives us a little freedom to be different. <laughs> you see, I loved. I thought it was crazy for Trevor just to to get all those people and uh, for you 
to control that many egos in under <laughs> two hours is insane. Uh, every single one of those guys is an awesomely nice guy. Really, it, that's <laughs> that is a, that is a true statement. I think I've I'd have to go down the list, but I'm pretty sure I've met every single guy on that list, and they're all very nice guys. What else is on that's your mind awesome. today? But but yeah, what I did want to say is uh, I guess with uh with Josie coming off with with a running start. Do you think he's a top scorer by the end of the season? It very, it's very possible. I mean, if he gets that kind of service from Giovinco on a regular basis, is he going to be playing those kind of through balls every week? No. But if Josie can get the ball at his feet, I mean, you saw that. That was not – he He has missed easier chances in England than he put away yesterday – or put away Saturday in Vancouver. It was a great first touch to get around the keeper. It's the shot on the, on the sharp angle, and, and there was no doubt about it. I, I don't know if it's confidence. I don't know what it is. I don't know the quality of MLS. I, I don't really care. I think I think Josie is going to score a lot of goals. I um I, I don't know. I mean, he's two in. You know, two in the first game. He's obviously not going to average that. If he can go, if he can get one every other game and finish around seventeen, that would be huge for Toronto. Absolutely. Uh, definitely. Well, thanks for taking my call, man. Appreciate it. There you go, Tay. You're on the line. What's up? Yeah, uh, first, I'm glad DC United won. Uh, it's like a good start. I like it. Uh, the second thing is, uh, I watched the, uh, the Quest game against Dallas to see, uh, Tommy Thompson. I was hoping he'd get on the field, on, on the pitch, but I don't know. It, it seems like he's pretty far down the depth chart inside the first game goes. Yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know. I, I mentioned this, um, uh, we talked about this on the best soccer show last night, me and Jared Dubois. We're both in the Tommy Thompson, on the Tommy Thompson hype train. We're, uh, you know, we're conductors on that train. And to see, to not see him in the opening weekend, I mean, maybe it's Dom Kinnear learning his team. Maybe it's, I, you know, I don't know exactly what you want to ascribe it to, but I hope we see Tommy Thompson. I, and I really hope, I mean, I don't know. Dom Kinnear doesn't seem like the kind of coach who is going to, um, you know, take a risk and put in a, a very young, inexperienced player when he needs every, he needs to scrap uh, for every point he can get to, to make the playoffs in the West. I, I don't know if this is a good situation. For Tommy Thompson, we may see the, the the type of regression that we saw with Diego Fagundes last year, or or Luis Gill in RS at RSL, or even Jose Villarreal, who's now back in the LA plans, but for a little while was on the outs. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping like he he doesn't become like Luis Gill, where I mean he hasn't played much that last season. Um, I'm just hoping that uh, because yeah, last um, last night's game, I mean. I mean, like Don Kinnear used uh, many players that he could. I mean, he could. I mean, he could use time times to substitute, but he didn't. So I'm hoping he doesn't become like loose skill. I mean, he gets more chance to play in the future. Yeah, I tell you, while you're here, I know you're you're a United fan, as you said. You're glad that they won. Um, did you see enough to think that they're going to be back where they were last season? I mean, what what did you make? Uh, obviously, you know, no no Eddie Johnson is a is a thing, but was there enough for from United for you in a one nothing win over? Montreal to feel good? Yeah, I mean, um, I like the fact that they're aggressive. They're moving the ball pretty well. Obviously, you know, just like the many of the teams last night, they're pretty rusty, it seems like. So there's a couple things that are a little bit off. But um, Arietta, I think he's good for, like, at least seven, eight goals. Um, so until, like, Espindola comes back, I don't know what will happen to Eddie Johnson, but I mm -hmm. think we can, we can hold on. And I like the ball movement we watch. So hopefully Chris Pontius stays healthy. Um, so, um, yeah, I think so far it's first game, but it looks pretty good. Okay, fair enough. Arietta scoring goals is a good sign because he's not the most reliable goal scorer in the league. Uh, there's a reason why Columbus let him go. It's a, there's a reason why Orlando 
took him and then tra- immediately traded him to DC United. Uh, so, you know, hopefully you can get a couple of goals, as you said, out of, out of Jairo Arrieta. And I don't know what, I mean, it was a fine goal. He took it well, but I, I'm not sure what, what Bush was doing coming out uh, of his net that quickly when he had a defender. Um, you know, not that far behind Arietta. At least, at least in terms, you could push him wide. Maybe you come out and and make yourself big to come out all the way to the top of the box like that and get beat by one touch was pretty bad. All right, three four seven seven five six six two seven six. Couple minutes left in this episode of Soccer Morning. If you want to jump in again, big week, a uh, big week of shows coming up on a Wednesday. Alejandro Bedoya will join us on Thursday. Brad Guzan. We're continuing our Twitter push to get Don Garber on the show. I just love that there's like some discussion going back and forth because of this. On the pitch says, what happened to Tim Ream? He's still at Bolton, right? Tim Ream's still there? I don't think we're talking about Tim Ream. Tim Ream's not a U.S. international at this low, at this point, is he? No one's going to call him that. Got to, uh, I don't know, got to work himself back into the mix. Got to got to play himself uh, into a position. Now, he moved around last year. Was Bolton's, wasn't he Bolton's player of the year last season? I don't know where he is, to be honest with you. I haven't tracked him, Reem. I haven't been on, uh, I haven't been on Americans uh, abroad to track those guys. I usually read about the young guys. That's probably not the right way to go. Cause again, we have this spread election here. American soccer fans, we don't wanna, we always wanna hype up the young player. And then we hype him up too much and he doesn't meet that standard and then he's a failure somehow. I don't know. We don't, I don't want to get ahead of it. This is part of the problem with Tommy Thompson. Tommy Thompson has, he could have a couple of year arc to get where he needs to be as a player. And yet we're all jumping on the Tommy Thompson hype train. He showed a little bit last year at the end of the season. You change coaches and Dom Kinnear comes in and maybe he won't be first selection and we're going to get upset about it. 414, you're on the air. Yeah, this is Ray from Milwaukee and I just want to talk a little about the television coverage. Sure, go ahead. I thought, I thought it was as a product as a whole as great, but what I'd like to know is if the NBA or the NFL or MLB lack that type of diversity on English language television coverage, would minority groups be disappointed with the coverage that they're getting? Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, something, <laughs> uh, you know, just to pull back the curtain a little bit here, we had a couple of people uh, note that our entire lineup of experts on Friday all those guys that we brought on to give their picks right. are white guys. Every single one of them right. is a white guy. Um, you know, we, we, we did, we did reach out to a couple of people who aren't white guys who weren't available. So I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, it wasn't about us choosing that. It's, I think it's a function of, of where Americans, I mean, I'm a white guy. What am I, how, I you know, as another white guy here. Um, Americans. Yeah, but I like your show, Jason. You, you, you do get a lot of people of diverse backgrounds and a lot of minorities on your programming. I think if MLS wants to reach out, if MLS truly wants to get the best soccer ratings that they can get on English language television, incorporating diversity is only a good thing. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. We have some established names here that are filling those spots. And, you know, I I, I guess that what we need to see is some of those guys moving into uh, the broadcast realm and, 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 you know, adding more diversity. There, there are, there are, there are, there are, there is some diversity out there that's available. And, and maybe it's on Fox and ESPN and, and again, on, on anything that, that's any, any sort of soccer product in this country that is attempting to represent the community as a whole. And, you know, we, we, we try to do that. I mean, again, it, it's difficult. If I spoke Spanish, I would be speaking Spanish right now 
to, to mix that in as well because I realize that that's a major part of American soccer. Right. But we right. fill we fill those gaps where we can, Ray. I mean that that, that is you you have a point. And I just want to say that uh, the thing for me is uh, I'm glad that they have the SAP available on Spanish language, the English language, and uh, people finally realize that it's not as easy as just pressing a button. Uh, uh, yeah. So for the Spanish language fans that want to watch or people that are bilingual that prefer to watch it in uh, Spanish, uh, it's not that easy. Right. That's why I, I try to emphasize that these networks got to do a better job. Univision uh, preferably needs to do a better job of making this league more available to their fandom. Okay, fair enough. Appreciate the phone call, Ray. Thanks a lot, man. All right, go. Uh, Daniel in Atlanta, what's up? Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Um, speaking of broadcast, is is, is Fox going to ever put a MLS match on like your national broadcasting channel? You know, I don't think that's part of the deal. Um, I'd have to go back and look at, at what they've signed up uh, for. I don't think that that's something that they plan on. Now they've done that with the Champions League. I, I think they've done it occasionally with the FA Cup. I think the FA Cup final was over the air last year. That I imagine that'll be the case this season. Um, I don't know what they plan to do with the Bundesliga. I think that that's, I think that's something they, that they're looking at. I don't know that they've committed to that with MLS. I would love for that to happen. That would obviously be a much bigger possible audience for Fox than just to put it on Fox Sports 1 or the Fox Sports 2. I, I can't remember what the breakout is. I'll go back and look. Jonathan Tannewald has all this stuff locked down. Um, but so I don't, I don't know the answer to your question, Daniel, but you know, we, we can obviously sort of complain about it if we want. <laughs> no, I was just, I was just curious. Um, on another, on another note, uh, yeah, last night I wanted to say that, uh, Kenny Walker, I, I would have much rather preferred to have seen Bajit Vesidic instead of Kenny Walker in the lineup. And do you okay. know why? Do you have any insight on why, uh, JP, uh, Jaime Pinedo didn't play? No, I have no idea. I have not. I did not catch that. To be honest with you, Daniel, I apologize. Lots of soccer this weekend, man. And I, I'm being yeah. dist- I'm being distracted by being told that I'm pronouncing uh, uh, that that new Italian player in Toronto's name wrong, and I better get it right. So I, I don't want to piss anybody off, Aaron. So I should say Jovinko. Okay, I'll say Jovinko from now on. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what else you got, Daniel? Uh, not much. Thanks, right, and uh, I look forward to the interviews. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate the phone call. 347-756-6276. you got about four minutes to jump on the line if you want to talk MLS broadcasting, uh, diversity in American soccer, whatever has come up tonight. Uh, today. Tonight? Today. So it is morning still, right? Looking outside. Yeah. It's still morning. It's a Monday morning. It's been a good show. Um. All right. So I'm getting told by the guy who says we have 75 listeners. That there are two games on on Fox over the air for MLS. They committed to two games. So there you go. All right. Uh, and uh, Cosmonaut Chronicle. What about the New York Times front page article on the Cosmos being the first team to play in Cuba since the end of, uh, of the pro sports embargo? If you listen to the beginning of the show, Cosmonaut Chronicle, you'll uh, realize I already talked about this. But hey, you people on Twitter who are big Cosmos fans and listen to this show seem to be incredibly sensitive to anything cosmos related i i i i mentioned it just just calm down i'm i'm i am not anti cosmos i don't know why what is that by the way can i get some some feedback on why everybody thinks i'm anti cosmos 
I think I think I've done a pretty good job of talking New York Cosmos on this show. I think I've done a pretty good job of talking NASL when it comes up, when it's a when it's a thing. Well, when the season starts, we plan to talk NASL. We have Bill Peterson on this show all the time. In fact, hey Bill, you want to come back on talk Cosmos? More than happy to do it. You guys want to call in talk Cosmos? Let's go. Bring it on. Three four seven seven five six six two seven six. I it's a very cool thing that the Cosmos are going to Cuba to play the Cuban national team. That's exciting. That's cool. Spread the word. Cosmos are an international brand. Somebody will have to tell me how how popular the Cosmos actually are in Cuba, whether they're aware of the new Cosmos. I, I imagine that they're aware of the old Cosmos through some cultural, uh, you know, some cultural leeching. Vince is, uh, Vince is uh, answering the question. Vince Toronto is answering the question about uh, Jaime Pinedo, saying that Unimas said that Pinedo was in a contract dispute with the Galaxy. I didn't realize that. Very fascinating stuff. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. Brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Remember, go to backheel.com slash store to buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. They're very pretty. They have our logo on them. They uh, they, they hold coffee very well. Uh, this is actually water. And they do a fine job of holding water as well. Go to 3nilfc.com to buy a t-shirt. And uh, I'm in the middle of my spiel, but I'll, cl- I'll close out with a, with a phone call. 469, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, this is Nelly in uh, Texas. What's going on? Hey, I wanted to bring up a thing about the broadcasting. Sure. I think the and Fox is going to do a good job. What worries me is the Univision. They seem to be more focused on Lisa and Nike, their TV shows. Well, that's where, they're, know, that's where their, their bread is butter. Look, it, it, uh, they've signed up. Univision signed up. They've got they've got a slate of MLS games. It's on them to to produce it better. And and, and maybe we, the the complaints are fair. Although I didn't watch that game on Friday, so I'm not going to comment. But I will say this: when it comes to ratings, when it comes to what brings them money, Liga MX and and their telenovelas are bigger deals than MLS. I mean that's just that's just a fact of life. So we then, want them. Then why not go with Telemundo or? Because that's you know. who stepped up to the play. I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know what the negotiations were like. I, I mean, I, I get your point, but I think that we have to give them a little bit of time here to figure it out. And, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they have committed to on-site broadcast teams where they've done it remotely before. If that's not the case, like, uh, go ahead. You know, Univision. You know, good deal, but at least you get two minutes of highlights of MLS, and then the next thirty minutes on their sports show is Liga MX. Yeah, but again, I mean, that's that's the popular league for something. them. No, that but and that's the popular league for them. And and I I understand your frustration. Um, and and maybe they won't be the 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 network that really pushes the league the hardest. Um, uh, and it's going. You know, MLS is trying to make inroads into you know the 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 community that typically turns their eyes to Mexico and Mexican soccer. So uh, this is something, I guess. I mean, again, it's it's not like they haven't been on Spanish language television before, but it's a matter of having that lockdown place on Friday night, knowing where that game's going to be every week. I, I think that's more important than almost anything else. I appreciate the phone call. I, I don't, it's not that I don't understand the frustration. It's just that I think we, we get our head of ourselves in terms of the demands that we have for a league that doesn't draw much in terms of, of, of television ratings. It's just a fact of life. It's, MLS has to prove that it can bring the, the, the viewers before you're going to get the full-on effort of these television networks. All right. So backheel.com slash store, 3NLFC.com, worldsoccertalk.com, obviously. Uh, and make sure that you're giving us ratings and reviews on on uh, iTunes because that helps out a lot. You're following us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. 
I think you are. You better be. Thank you very much to Kyle McCarthy and Paul Tenorio to be, uh, for being on today's show. And we'll be back tomorrow. We'll have a Tuesday episode. Not sure who yet, but it should be good. Join us then. Talk to you. Bye.